You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Well, thanks for tuning in. Welcome. This is an episode of Off the Record. Yes. Yes, girl. Um, Yeah, if you're new to the podcast, uh, usually we record on Thursday mornings and... uh, well, I should introduce myself. My name's Andrew. With me today is Corland. Hi. And uh, I was going to say, usually we have our other brother, Cameron. And uh, yet this is an episode of Off the Record, which means uh, it's a kicked him out bonus and... episode. Oh, yeah, that too. And we kicked Cam out. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, But because Corland and, Corland and I both work at the church, sometimes there's questions that come up that we're like, hey, let's just record. And so uh, this is all off the record, meaning it can't be used against us in a court of law. And we don't prep for it. We just kind of come in and, and talk about things. Yes. This one, I will say, I looked up a few things. I did too, actually. So you're a liar. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, this episode is a little bit different because usually, like Corlin said, it's like, Things that happen during the week or random thoughts we get, we'll just kind of write them down and then Which, talk about fair, it. Which, to be fair, I got some right here. So. Yes. But um, uh, we've gotten like a bunch of questions that um, wouldn't take a whole podcast episode to answer, I don't think. And so we just thought, well, let's just answer a couple of them from people that have sent them in. So um, I know you have maybe a couple. I have three questions. <laughs> and so we just want to uh, answer them kind of quickly, but give some thought to them. And so anyways, we'll just dive in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So the first question I'll give a little bit of background on. Um, it's kind of related to the rapture. Um, and so in the past, in my teaching that I've done through Revelation, and it's come up a couple times on the podcast, um, I actually don't think that biblically you can make a solid case for a rapture. Maybe I should clarify. Corlin, what is the, the rapture? When the we Left talk behind series, <laughs> that's in a word. Yes. Um, so basically, the rapture, in a what? really, really simple layman's terms, is some people get taken up and away, and some people get left behind. Yeah. So the rapture is an idea that there's like a uh, Jesus returns kind of in a, like a secret way, and all the Christians. I thought it was like a clap of thunder and then everyone was gone. All the, yeah. But then I don't know if you've seen the left behind. It's like, oh, and their clothes are left there and they've all, all the Christians and have all disappeared. all the planes with Christian pilots yeah. are crashing. And so it's the idea of like God comes and he like pulls all the Christians out of earth, essentially. Uh, and so that's the idea of a rapture. And most likely if you're listening and you're a Christian that grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, you probably were taught that that is like the gospel and truth. Even if you wouldn't have been like, yes, that's what I believe. Honestly, often subconsciously those things exist. Yeah. If that was the culture at the time. So um, this question comes out of that because I've taught a little bit about like some of the main passages that people use to support the rapture. I don't think it's like that. I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> you keep using that word. You keep using that word. I don't think you know what it means. Um, so the question then was someone asked, there is a parable in Matthew 13 about the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. And they basically asked, I'm paraphrasing their question, is that somehow related to Matthew um, 25, where Jesus talks about, um, you know, when the end comes, or sorry, Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour, and someone's uh, taken and someone's left. And so... Mm. I think that's a really good question. So let me read Matthew 13. This is the parable that Jesus gave. Well, actually, actually, I think first off, it'd be really, really good and beneficial to discuss what is a parable. Why did Jesus use parables? Because if we're reading a parable, it's important to actually know what they are and what the purpose is. uh, Pull your mic up a little bit. (sighs) I know it's kind of falling down. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So a parable... um, How would you describe it? Yeah. it's, It's like an illustration... Uh, but different. <laughs> I, I think the words that I would use, and, and I could be wrong, so if I'm wrong, someone can correct me. Uh, I would use the, the phraseology, so to speak, of like it is an elusive illustration sure. in the sense that like there are certain aspects that anyone listening can, can visualize, can understand, but Jesus spoke in these parables and he, he says it over and over, actually within the context even of within chapter 12, 13, and 14, I think it is, here, he says, like, 
hey, some people will hear this and understand and others won't. Because this chapter 13 within this parable, uh, the parable of the wheat and the weeds uh, comes right after the parable of the sower yeah. sowing seeds, right? So yeah. there, there's a con- contextual thing where he, he gives that parable which is like an elusive illustration that some people understand and, yeah. and God is glorified through, but some people are just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So it's yeah. not like he's trying to give, it's not like a sermon illustration where you're actually trying to make it so everyone understands your point. It's like sure. only the people who actually have ears, as the Bible would say, will actually hear what I have to say through this. Yeah. And yeah, so Jesus often will, with his parables, he'll be like, you know, the kingdom of God is kind of like this. And then he'll use a, a farming illustration or a fishing illustration or, you know, someone finds some treasure, like uses like a storytelling yeah. kind of thing. And it's meant to, okay, it's, there's, there's, there's truth in there about what the kingdom of God is like. So yeah, the parable of the sower, the kingdom of God is like this, you know, a guy goes out and he casts seed on the ground and he's telling the story that they would have connected with because everybody in that culture was, would have known, would have known. Yeah. That's what farmers do. Okay. How does this connect to what the kingdom of God is like? So that's one of these things. So Matthew 13, Jesus says in verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So, right. The king, it's kind of like this to a man who sowed good seed in his field But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So most, you know, my understanding of this parable is that Jesus is talking about, you know, because he's just talked about good seed mm-hmm. that fell on good soil. And so he's talking about Christians and then the weeds are unbelievers. And so I think what Jesus is saying is that there's believers and unbelievers in the church mm-hmm. and that God allows them to grow together until the end time judgment where then, you know, the weeds, unbelievers are sorted, for lack of a better term, and cast away. Yeah. And then the wheat, the believers, are gathered into the kingdom of God. Yeah. So this person's question then was, is that kind of talking about the rapture? Like we're kind of gathering the wheat away. And uh, is that related to Matthew 24? So I'll just really quickly read Matthew 24 that talks about Jesus coming back. He says, no one knows when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then he says in verse twenty or 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And here's where people say, this is the rapture. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, Uh, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what you, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And so some have said, ah, okay, see, two people are in a field. One is taken and one's left behind, yeah. see? And so this person, I get what they're getting at. They're like, is, yep. that, is that the same thing? As yeah, Matthew it's 13? an understandable thing to, to see those themes of wheat and farming and, and industrial type stuff. Industrial is maybe not the right word. But yeah, I can, I can understand the connection being made, why that was made in their mind. Um, I think what's interesting, though, is when we're looking at uh, literary design patterns, um, there are elements that transfer, but then there are oftentimes like the the pieces that you might think are the same within that design pattern aren't actually the exact same happening. Sure. Um, so I would actually, I think what Jesus is saying in this in the parable in Matthew thirteen, starting in twenty four, is is he is describing what has happened within creation and what is going to happen on judgment day. But I don't think that it's like a, a looking ahead in the sense of like 
will be able to tell what happens more accurately, if that makes sense. Aside from that creation was made, he planted the seeds while his men were asleep. Someone snuck in and planted bad seeds. Mm -hmm. uh, the the word tares that some translations will have, some have weeds. Mm -hmm. um, the actual contextual uh, word of that is it infers a, a type of weed that within the early stages of growth is basically in, indistinguishable from wheat. Yeah. Right? So it's not like, oh, hey, we have wheat and we have dandelions. Shouldn't we go pick those? It's no, like there is... Yeah, you can't really tell the difference. Yeah. yeah. And so it's actually quite interesting to, to think about that. But then we see that, like Jesus essentially says, wait till the end when we harvest, then I'll have someone go through and take those out, someone who knows the difference to take them out and we'll store up the good, the wheat mm -hmm. in a barn and we'll take the rest and we'll burn it. It'll, it'll be like chaff, right? It'll yeah. go away. So I think that there is an element of like a looking forward to like, mm -hmm. Hey, at the end, this will happen. Yep. As for an actual, um, for it to be connected to the rapture, I, I don't see for one, I don't think the rapture is, is biblically accurate. So that's maybe d partly why I could have difficulty connecting sure. it. If you believe the rapture is accurate, uh, then you might have an easier time. But I think that this does really just point out to the narrative of what is going to happen regardless of your end time view is that when when the end is here, there's going to be a final judgment. Mm -hmm. Those of us who are actually followers of Christ will be saved mm -hmm. and put away and, and go into heaven as people would say yeah uh and then the rest will be dealt with accordingly yeah right yeah i think that matthew 13 in my opinion this parable has nothing to do with the rapture um one like you i don't believe in the rapture <laughs> but i think when we talk about jesus returning and there's lots in the bible about that kind of final judgment day mm -hmm. this is describing that and it would be such a stretch to say this is the rapture because even if you take it just literally, verse 30, gather the weeds first. So no, who's being gathered first? The, the wicked weeds. sinners, not yeah. Christians being plucked out. Yeah. And so again, it, does it really matter that it's first or second and how is it all going to work? Yeah. I don't know. But you couldn't, you can't make an argument that, ah, see, like God gathers all the wheat. Well, no, according to this, yeah. he gathers the weeds first and then gathers the wheat into his barn. So... I, I don't think you can make a a statement saying that's describing the rapture. It's I in my opinion it's it's like Jesus is saying, "Okay, when I return, I'm going to and he'll he'll say the same thing in Matthew 25. I'm going to separate the sheep and the goats. This is I'm going to separate the wheat and the weeds." He's saying yeah. like believers and unbelievers, when yeah. I return, I'm going to I'm going to deal with it. Yeah. Um and and a person can read into this <clears throat> like, sure. really far cuz like there, there was probably, and if well, it's a parable, so it's not like this is an actual happening. But if you were to like, like I said, really read into it in the sense of like you're like scratching more than what Jesus actually wanted to say with this. Yeah, like you could say, well, there's probably other weeds than the tares in there that look like the weeds. So like obviously those ones are easy to pick out, type thing. Right. I, I think. In my mind, it does give somewhat of an imagery of even what's happening in the church, right? Like throughout all of history. Sure. We know that there are devout followers of Christ that you can tell very easily, like that is wheat, so to speak. That yeah. is good. Um, but there is also weeds, so to speak, in the church that you can tell that is not of God. They are not a Christian, right? Yeah. So I don't think that what Jesus is saying here is that you'll never be able to tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians until God judges. Sure. But I think that what he is saying is that there there are instances where you will not be able to tell. Sure. And and only that I don't like using the phrase because it gets abused all the time, but only God can judge those people, right? Yeah. Like you and I were talking just the other day. There are probably, statistically speaking, even within our congregation, and by probably that's that's a very loose term, there are going to be Christians, so to speak, in this congregation that are not actually Christians. Sure. Who profess to be, and yet Jesus will say, I, I never knew you, yeah. right? And that's a scary thing. Um, and I think that as as humans with a very finite mind, and even for myself, it's really easy to get caught up in this judgment of like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Like, yeah. 
what if they were a good person? What if this? What if that? Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important to remember the the whole narrative of the Bible when we think of a passage like this, where we're separating good or followers of Christ from people who don't know him. Is that, as harsh as it sounds, that is a good thing. Sure. It's just, mm-hmm. right? If we believe as Christians that God is perfectly just and perfectly righteous, then his his justice and his judicial uh, process of, of separating those that he deem righteous through Christ mm-hmm. and those that he doesn't, that is a that is good news, right? Because right? when we look at the world and we look at sin and we look at the horrible <clears throat> things, we can see that it's bad. We know that it's bad. Um, nobody looks at child trafficking and is like, you know, that's actually a good thing, right? right? We can see there is obvious things that are horrible. So then to say, well, when he separates that and like they don't get another chance, they, they've already had their entire life hmm. and, and all of creation pointing them to God. So I, my, my point in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is that we, we should never look at God's justice as something to be afraid of sure. or, or that it is a bad thing because it is good. We all want justice for different various things. So if we think of a perfect and just judge, that's who God is. Yeah. And so, yeah, to not be afraid of passages like this um, because of them speaking of actual judgment and consequence for action yeah. as well. Yeah. And then Matthew 24, like I can... Uh, I I don't think that has anything to do with the rapture either, but I can see why because they go two men are in the field, one's taken and one's left, and they go okay, so clearly the yep. ones taken are Christians. But if you read the context, uh, Jesus says it's going to be just like the days of Noah, and who was left in the days of Noah? The righteous people. Yeah, it was the wicked people who were taken away. Yeah. They were destroyed. Which is a really interesting imagery then too, if you think of like the new heaven and new earth in the sense of like another physical existence somewhere else other than this, like that this world is destroyed. Um, God has promised never to destroy the world again. Sure. So that's kind of an interesting, like you got the promise to to Moses or to Noah and it's like, see, I almost messed him up again. Yeah. Every time. I'm horrible with names. Anyways. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, there's, with, like we were saying last time we recorded about end time views, there's holes. And so then when you look at passages like this, you have to consider whether or not yeah. what you're reading is creating holes in other areas yeah. as well. And and how big are those holes? Is it something that's uh, like disputable in the sense of like, eh, like not a huge issue? Or does it actually tear some pretty big holes in, in what scripture says? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So if it was just, if Jesus just kind of gave those examples without um without clarifying that he's he's using the example of Noah because he even says like Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so you don't want to be the people who are taken away no so for people to look at a passage like that and go yeah the rapture people are I want to be taken away no. not <laughs> if you not if you're using the example of Noah the people swept away taken away were the unrighteous ones so I think what Jesus is saying is it, it, I, I think it's it's similar to Matthew 13. I think Jesus is talking about in the end people will be taken away yep. to eternal judgment. Because yeah. I'm just and I'll decide. Yep. And then people who are left are the ones who are in my kingdom. Inherited the kingdom. Yeah. Already. So I think, sh- like the person who sent this question in, I think, yeah, your instincts were correct. Are, is Matthew 24 and Matthew 13 kind of saying the same thing? Yeah, I would say, yeah, they yep. are. But it's not, in my opinion, connected to a rapture. It's connected to a final judgment. And you don't want to be the people who are like taken away. Like in Noah's day, yeah. you want to be the people that God... The remnant. Yeah, the remnant that God yeah. saves and that he preserves. So hopefully that kind of answers your question. And I would say good on you for kind of seeing that. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's something, there's a connection here. Um, and asking those questions is, is awesome, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's to us or whether it's even within your own reading and, and study of the word. Because as soon as you start asking questions like that, um, 
it's something I, I've been noticing a lot in myself and in other people is we love to focus in on the details. And as yeah. soon as you ask a question like that, it forces you to take a look at the full picture to see if it connects. Like I said, if you start noticing as you back up that it's ripping holes in other things, it's like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I think of it that way, this doesn't line up. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's an easier way than to take a look at scripture as a whole and to try and see that connected narrative story that points to Jesus yeah. and his redemptive work and, and his just judgment. Yeah, that's good. All right, second question this person had was like, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Because I, I think most people, if you're listening and you're a Christian, I shouldn't say, I'd say the large majority of the time when you hear people pray or maybe when you pray, it's always kind of like, you know, in dear Jesus God, thank name, you for amen. this, blah, 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 in Jesus' name, or amen. we pray this in your or, name. Or in your name, yes. or something, something. And so there's a few passages where this comes from. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then in John 15, verse 16, Jesus kind of says the same thing. Um, uh, Near the end of verse 16, he says, So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So there's another one where Jesus says, like, you you know, you're asking things in my name. And then uh, John 16 Verses 23 and 24, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So I think this person is asking, like, what does that mean? Is it just literally like we say those three words in Jesus' name? Okay, bing. It's like magic words that we add on to the end of a prayer. Is that like licking the stamp and putting on the letter and sending it? Or is it like, you know, we prayed and, oh, shoot, I forgot to say in Jesus' name, God didn't hear me. Like, Hmm. or what what do you think Jesus means? He says it, you know, three or four times, whatever you ask, in my name. Is he saying, you literally have to say those words or else it doesn't count? Or what do you think? I... Let's see if I can formulate my thoughts as we go. <laughs> on the fly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so um, I'll say right. Uh, neither of us would say you. Have it is to. a magic formula. Yeah. Because that is just kind of superstitious. I, and I think some something that's interesting to consider is when Jesus says in Matthew six, uh, verse nine to thirteen, then this is how you should pray. He doesn't end the prayer with in Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah. Yeah. It's just our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we have added for thine is the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Right? Like that's, that's our own thing. So it's quite interesting to, if we were to make a rule around that, because Jesus said like, ask in, in his name, ask the Lord in Jesus's name. So yes, I think it's a good thing to do. I think that it's something that um, if we think in the line of scripture of how throughout the course of the Old Testament and stuff, God gave his people uh, intercessors or or in, uh, what's the word that I'm... In, intercessor? Is that the right word? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So what that means is he gave his people someone to, to go on their behalf into the presence of God yeah, and like say, Moses. hey... Yeah, Moses is one of them. Elijah, I would say, is another one of them. Uh, Joshua, like any, basically, any leader of the people of Israel uh, were intercessors, people who would go on behalf of the people to God. And so I think when we, at least my understanding uh, would be, as when we pray in Jesus' name, it's it's like we are continually reminding ourselves and we're asking Jesus, our intercessor, to bring these things to God for us. Um, because he is the great high priest. He is the great intercessor who has come for us. So, although it's not a formula, I don't, I think it is a good thing to do. Um, sure. But I mean, well, I think, yeah, if the, like, yeah, you, you have to understand, it's not as if like, I, and this, this is just my, it's not as if God is on his throne, God, the father, and we're praying. And then it's like, in Jesus' name. Oh, okay, they said it. Like, 
Answer it, that one. Yeah, yeah, because then it's like then if if that's some magic formula, then what we're really doing is trying to like manipulate God to hear our prayers. And that's how unfortunately, <clears throat> I've actually heard it taught that way. As long as cuz you you read it whatever you ask. You're talking about prosperity yep. gospel. Yeah. Whatever you ask in Jesus name, then God will do. So if you ask for a brand new Bentley in Jesus' name, God says, whatever you ask. So I think it's better to, like, who is the one that gives us access to God the Father? It's Jesus, because he came, because he um, died and rose again. And I think there's this misconception that, like, oh, yeah, all of humanity are children of God, and that's not correct. Um, John 1 Verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So to say that like, oh yeah, all of humanity, we're all children of God is not correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and so children of God have a certain privilege to come to God and yeah. to ask him for things. Yeah. And the reason that we have that right and privilege is because we believed in the one whom he sent, in Jesus. So I, I really don't think it's like, you must say these words. I think it's an acknowledgement of, okay, we can pray with a certain measure of um, authority that Jesus has given us because we're asking God to act on, on our prayers. We're asking God, would you do this? Would you move? Would you answer this prayer because we believe in Jesus, the one whom you sent, and he has given us the right to come into the present, right? Even if you think about Hebrews, we have a great high priest, so we can, uh, I'm just going to read it instead of trying to paraphrase it. Yep. Um, yeah, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. So if you think about the people of Israel, there was a massive, heavy, thick curtain that separated them from the presence of God, mm-hmm. and only the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. I couldn't just stroll in and be like, hey, God, just wondering if you could do I would just be struck down dead. Yeah. But when Jesus died, the curtain was torn in two, and it basically meaning like, Access to God is now for anyone who, who comes Jesus, who believes. through Jesus. Yes. Right? So I think that's the, the thinking behind it. I don't think it's a formula. I think it's an attitude that we come to God with going, okay, I know that God is my father and that I have access to him because of Jesus. And he's at the right hand of the father interceding on my behalf and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Do you... I, my my brain is going like a million miles a minute right now because I'm I I think I'm connecting some dots that I hadn't thought about when I first started talking. Sure. Um, Exodus chapter twenty verse seven. Uh, you might not see where it's connecting, so I'm going to see if I can try and connect these dots and see what you think. So it says, uh, I don't know exactly which translation this is, but thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I'm guessing it's King James because there's a lot of thys in there. Um, yeah, so you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is NLT now. Uh, the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. The context of of not taking the Lord's name in vain is like bearing his name as like an ambassador um, and, and therefore speaking it... Uh, without reverence to who you're, you're talking about in the sense of like, in those cultures, I think if I remember correctly, it is something of like, uh, oh man, words are really hard right now because I'm still trying to build the thought. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, in the, in a really, really simple way, it's like, you know, in Narnia when they're like for Narnia and then they do something on behalf of like the hope of Narnia. Do you think that, when like, cause Jesus says too, like, go, like go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Um, and, and so I would say that's doing it like, Hey, this is like for Jesus type thing. Do you think that that's similar where when we would pray and we would say in Jesus name, so be it. Cause that's what amen means. Do you think that it's, it, it's at all similar to being like, Hey, we want to, we want to bear these things we're asking for, in Jesus name in the sense of like, we are bringing forth his kingdom announcing that like, this isn't 
us. This isn't on our behalf. This is like Jesus's kingdom being built. Do you think that, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I, I'd probably have to think more about that. Me too. Cause those words were really hard to try and formulate. Yes. <laughs> Cause I think like taking the Lord's name in vain, my, my little note here says mm-hmm. that it refers primarily to someone taking a deceptive oath in God's name or evoking God's name to sanction an act in which the person is being dishonest. Exactly. And that would it not also bring ban- glory to God though, right? Yeah. It also bans using God's name in magic or irreverently or disrespectfully. Mm-hmm. So, but and- God would be against those things. So if you're bearing God's name and you're doing things against him, then, then that's why there's punishment for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the reason I'm connecting that is, is bearing the name, bearing like, Hey, this is, you wouldn't say this is of God and then practice divination because he no. says not to. Yeah. Um, just like we wouldn't pray for, uh, I don't know. We wouldn't pray for war and then say in Jesus name. Right. Cause we, we want to pursue what God wants in his kingdom. Sure. Yeah. So that's more so what I'm getting at more so than just pointing out to like, Hey, we're bearing the name. It's more so like if we're representing Christ and we're wanting to bring forth his kingdom. Um, I, and I don't know, like I, I haven't, I haven't yeah. studied it enough. It was just a thought that came to mind of like, not a battle cry per se, but it's like, yeah, we want to do this in Jesus name. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think it's more so, it's like every time you pray, it's just a reminder that um, you you have the ability to pray to a God who listens to you because of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And so I think, again, like we can, we can fall, and we all do this, we fall into these kind of like religious, legalistic traps because we take what Jesus says... I mean, this is going to sound so bad, but you get what I mean. We mm-hmm. take what he says literally, but literally in the sense of like, well, he said, I must ask for things in, in his, his name. name. So if I don't say in Jesus' name, it won't work. Yeah. And I don't really think that's what Jesus means because all along he's talking about like this. If you read chapter 14, 15, 16 of John, yeah. he says, I and the Father are one. Yep. And now you are like welcomed into that yeah. and make them one, like we're one. And they'll be in me, like I'm in you. And there's a lot yep. of like language like that. Yeah. So I don't think Jesus is saying, "Hey, God." And you're uh, you made a really good point that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he doesn't teach them. Yeah. In Jesus' name, and I and I I don't even think Jesus is saying you must repeat this prayer word for word. Yeah, it's not a formula. I don't think so. And there's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer, uh, or we, we even call it the Lord's Prayer. It shouldn't be called that. It's the Disciples' Prayer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with saying it verbatim, but I don't think Jesus is saying, like, this is the only way yes. you must pray. Yep, no, I would agree. there's a structure to it. So I think it's just, I, I don't think um, Jesus is saying, you must say in my name or else God won't listen to yes. you. I think he's saying, because you've believed in me and you've been welcomed into the family of God and God is your father, now you can come to him in my name because yeah. of me. Like it's so I think it's just such a good reminder that every time you pray, whether you say it verbally or not, you're you're being reminded yes. I have access to God because Through of Jesus. Jesus and his sacrifice. This is amazing. Yeah. But I'll tell you, like I had a conversation with a guy who, this is probably a few years ago, took it very literally. Hmm. You only pray to God the Father in Jesus' name, and you have to, like if someone said like, you know, Jesus, I'm just coming before he would say, nah, you don't pray to Jesus, you pray to God the Father. Hmm. And then you pray in Jesus' name. And I just went, I think you're, you're kind of missing the point Hmm. Because it sounds like you're trying to crack some formula to get your prayers answered. Yeah. And I'm like, I've prayed to the Holy Spirit before. And he was just kind of like, you yeah. can't pray to the Holy Spirit. I'm like, why not? He's God. Yeah. So again, just to encourage uh, the person that asked this question, uh, I don't think it's a formula. I don't think that you panic when you go, oh, crap, I didn't say in Jesus name. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't uh, and then also, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying in Jesus' name. No. It's just this very... It's a reverent thing. Like, it, yeah, it's a totally. practical thing. Oftentimes, our brains are really actually quite weird in the fact that, like, yeah. we can think, um, like, it's a ridiculous amount of words a minute, but when we slow down and speak, it actually does slow down our brain's processing so that we actually have to think about what we're saying, mm-hmm. essentially. So, to to 
have practical things like to say in Jesus name, amen, to remind ourselves. Cause I mean, it sounds maybe unperfect Christian, but like who gets distracted when they pray? Almost everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And by almost everyone, I mean everyone because yeah, we're yeah. human. Yeah. Um, and so to have another practical reminder too, to be like, right, like in Jesus name, like this is like, Jesus, please hear my cries type deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so hopefully that helps. I have another question related to prayer. Oh, boy. These are all from the same person. So this person awesome. is like That's digging sweet. into some good stuff. We love it. So um, the last question that they asked was um, when when Jesus is in the, the prayer that he teaches his disciples in Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's the question. Jesus says, then pray. And lead us not into temptation. Yeah. And the question was, what the heck? Like, God is the one that leads us into temptation yeah. and we have to pray and ask, don't do that, God. Don't lead me into temptation. And this person was just asking, like, how, how do you make sense of that? Because yeah. that kind of breaks my boxes. Like, And they made a really good point. They said, James 1, 13 tells us... Uh, uh, sorry. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So you have James saying, when you're tempted, never say that God is tempting you. Yeah. And Jesus Here is saying, have. you should pray to God, don't lead me into temptation. Yeah. There is a really, really fun tension that is tough to explain. Uh, I think Christians have been trying to do it since the existence of humanity <laughs> yeah. or since any, any humans been in relationship with God. Um, I think the, the part of scripture that my brain instantly goes to is a passage or a part of like a story, so to speak is Job. Yeah. Um, in that story, the, the accuser or the deceiver, whatever the title is in that passage, yeah. the, the Satan, the Satan, goes to God and it's like, can I do this to Job? And God allows it, yeah. right? And and in his sovereignty and in his omnipotence and all those wonderful words, he yeah. allows Job to go through suffering. Yeah. And and if anyone knows, suffering often leads to like temptation for thoughts of anything or like yeah. whether it be a lust of money or power or anything like that because you just desire those things. Yeah. Um, and so it's quite an interesting thought to think that God, we have biblical proof that God allows people to be put in scenarios where they could be tempted um, in, in, in hopes makes it sound like God is just sitting there like our little cheerleader, like hoping that he's yeah. going to be glorified. But it, I would say it's in hope that, that we would trust him and that we would turn to him instead of those temptations, right? Um, even in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were were put with a choice of choose from the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. They he was given a choice, and yeah. and nowhere in in scripture, anyways, is in that narrative is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ever described as like it was pugnant, it was ugly, it smelled horrific. It was actually like within the context of it, it's actually described as good. Right. So I, I don't doubt that they probably looked at the tree before the serpent even came along and was like, huh, right. I, I wonder what that would be like. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, one other thing before I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. These are just like a bunch of disconnected thoughts in some ways. <laughs> um, I think we as Christians, there's a really, really fine, but very, very, very defined line between temptation and sin is the way that I would describe it. Temptation itself is not sin, um, but what we do with that temptation happens in an instant and it becomes sin or becomes something where we would glorify God with that choice. Yes. Right? And so when I'm we... I'm glad you said that. When we... People who, who are tempted to sin often feel so much shame and guilt. Yes. Sorry, I, I, nope. I interrupted you, but I just... Because I know there's people listening that it's like I was... And I remember struggling with this. I was tempted to look at porn and the battle was really intense, but I didn't 
but I would still feel shame and guilt yeah. as as if I did. Yeah. But I think I'm so I'm glad you said that. There's yeah. a difference between I was tempted to do something and I didn't, and and I just plunged right in. And now that's this. It's where that line is really like like I said, it's a very very yep. fine line. Yep. But that's because you can't sit on that line at all. Yeah. There, yep. there's no like. Well, I, I like dip my toes in. No, yeah. Like yep. no matter the sin, you either sinned or you didn't. Right. Yep. So like, uh, it's a really interesting thought to say. It's not like the scripture is not saying, and God don't lead us to sin. Yeah, don't lead us to temptation. It's 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 he's asking what Jesus is teaching us to ask is like God keep us like keep us away from that stuff so that we can continue to serve you that we can continue to glorify you and honor you Um, because humanity has has twisted everything that is good like it it's it's a it pushes back against what we're comfortable with but even if you think of the most horrendous sin that you can think of the inerrant desire for some of the things in the sense of like uh, the example that I think C.S. Lewis used it I think it was C.S. Lewis Uh, he was talking maybe I won't use the example I'm thinking of, but he talks in his book, mere Christianity about how sin inherently like sin itself is bad, but it's always a twisting of something good. Yep. Right. So, uh, if you take pornography, for example, the desire to, to have intimate connection with someone is not wrong. Sure. We as humans, I think are intrinsically made to be, with that desire to be connected to someone or, or to be connected to God. Yes. But when we twist that and we turn to porn because it, it, it feels like an easy route out, yeah. there's, there's sin there. Right. Uh, and, and you can go on and on and on, right. Uh, people who, who struggle with uh, any kind of eating disorder, the desire for, for good food is not inherently wrong. Mm-hmm. Even in Genesis, God says like, enjoy the fruit that is out there. But when we twist those things to be a source of comfort or a source of anything else, and we start noticing, uh, maybe the word I would use is like a pattern of abuse of that thing, Mm -hmm. regardless of what it is. That's where you start seeing that really fine line of like, yeah. So, so with back to the prayer, uh, (laughs) and lead us not into temptation. I, I think that what that is, is, is Jesus is teaching us, like I said, to like, ask God like, Hey, please keep me away from that. I want to serve you. Um, help my thoughts to be your thoughts, help the things that make you angry and sad to make me angry and sad. Right. Like help me to be more like your son and to, to, to keep away from those things that would even tempt me to go and sin. That, that'd be how I'd read it. Yeah. I think too. Yes. God never tempts us because, James 1 tells us that uh, when I'm tempted to sin, I can't blame God. I can't go, thanks a lot, as if he's dangling. Ooh, come on, take yeah. it, touch it. Ooh, do it, do it. Yeah. Right? Like, God would never do that. But God does test his children. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. God allows you to be tested to sanctify you. And I think what James is getting at is he's not saying, okay, God will never test you. Because there's lots of passages that talk about God testing us. But when we sin we can't blame God that I sinned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And what's interesting is when Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, the word is parasmos. Mm. And there's one word that means experiment, trial, temptation. Mm. And so could, mm. and I don't know, could Jesus be saying, lead us not into trials? Possibly, maybe, I don't know. It's That's the hard part about Greek. It's one word that can mean those three and, things. And yet it's interesting how each of those words they're related in some way they're related yeah. there, there's a connectedness so there. i think what jesus is saying is he's saying like okay god in your sovereignty please don't allow me or permit me to be tempted to sin it's like what you're saying help me jesus like yeah father help me not to be tempted to sin one illustration i read it was like a parent right who goes to a grocery store with their kid and they know i know if my kid sees candy it's going to be like, please let me have candy. I want yeah. candy. And they might even grab it and put it in the car. So they're going to, I'm going to avoid the candy aisle. Yeah. And so it's almost as if we're asking God, God, I know I'm weak. 
please help me not help me to avoid being tempted. Yeah. So I don't think it's an acknowledgement that God, you're the one who's going to tempt me. It's like, God, please help me not to be tempted to sin today. Yeah. So the, it's like the motive is different. It reminds me, I saw this video of, of a father and I think it was a son walking in like a mall and like the father yeah, realized past the Lego store. Yeah. Saw the Lego <laughs> store. And so the dad like playfully picks him up and like shoves him in his coat and like runs by the store and then sets him down. It's like, Oh, that yeah. was so much fun. Yeah. I, we laugh, but I think that that's kind of the imagery of like, God, like we know this is out there. Even yeah. the, the very next line in that prayer in verse 13 is, but deliver us from evil yeah. or, or keep us from the evil one, depending on your translation. Yes. And, and so Again, back in Genesis, when we see Cain and Abel, that story, we see Cain and God interacting and God is like, evil is crouching at your door, mm-hmm. but you have, and I'm paraphrasing quite loosely yep. here. So, so go back and read it because it's quite an interesting story, yeah, yep. but God says like, you have a chance to rule over this essentially, right? Like yep. choose righteousness, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that that's more so the imagery is that we would be going then to God and yeah. saying, okay, if evil is at my door, if I know that we are living in a world where evil occupies it, Father, please keep us. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's saying uh, God God's going to lead you into temptation, so you have, you have to ask him not to. I think it's an acknowledgement that we are going to be tempted to sin and God, please help me. Please don't, like, don't allow me, like... I need your help. Yeah. So, right. And so I think there's lots of times, like I, you can think of examples where I, I know that I'm going to be tempted and you cry out to God, like, God, yep. lead me away from this. Help yep. me not to go down that path. So, yeah. Does that, I think that that's pretty I think good. So. I and that I, and I think some, <laughs> one other thing that I would like to throw in is oftentimes when we find ourselves um, either in sin or if we find ourselves on that road to sin, that temptation journey, so to speak. Um, I think sometimes when we get into those places, we think so much about like, I, I couldn't stop. It was just this, like I couldn't help myself. Um, and, and so then I've, I've heard of the language of like, pray that God would give you an out. Um, and so we are expecting, I think sometimes something miraculous that like Jesus would come and like slap the thing out of our hands or like, uh, an angel would appear and be like, fear not, but like put the chips down or like, you know, so on and so forth. And it, it blew me away. (laughs) It blew me away when I started realizing, because as Andrew and I have talked about quite a bit before, um, with my struggle with pornography, uh, it blew my mind when someone mentioned that what if the out that God is giving you is the exit button of the internet? Hmm. What if when you pull up Google and you're tempted to go and look, you just mm. clicked exit instead of going? Yeah. That's an out. Yeah. What if instead of, uh, you know, you, the, the applications are endless. So like the, the chip one, not picking on, on that specific zone, but like, what if you close the bag and put it away? Mm. Right. I, I remember there was a, a time and I won't go into crazy detail, but there was a time within my, my sexual addiction where I had a certain practice um, and, and I was continually doing that. And I remember there were certain items that always tempted me and, and stuff. And I remember one time I was driving around and I was in this like crazy battle of like, I don't like, I am so tempted to act out the sin that I want to act out. And I remember it was like, God just gave me this random, like this, this out, so to speak. I think this is the closest example to like a supernatural out because I couldn't see a way out. Yeah. And I literally just, as I was driving through the items out my window and just kept driving. <laughs> That's awesome. That's and I awesome. never went back. And yeah. it was, it was one of those things where I was so like, you littered. Oh, I did. <laughs> Uh, if there's RCMP listening, yes, I admit to it. I'll, I'll take the fine. But that's exactly. But I'll what, gladly take that fine because it was worth it. Yeah, that's what First Corinthians ten says. No, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, mm-hmm. and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure yeah. it. So God says you're going to be tempted by your flesh by the world yep. and God might allow that yep. 
in order to sanctify you and test you. Yeah. But again, you can't have the picture of God like dangling the thing. Come on, yeah. do it, do it. And then being like, oh, you failed? Yeah. No. He'll always provide a way out. And and it could be a simple thing like throwing whatever it is out the yeah. window and then you go, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Or or clicking an exit tab or, you know, yeah. literally turning and walking away. Yeah, totally. Right? Like, and, and so I, yeah, it's consistent with the biblical image that God allows it. But like I said, even back to Cain and Abel, God interacts and God is not the one going to Cain saying, oh, you should kill your brother. Like, yeah, yeah. That Let's was, see what you do. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. come on, what yeah. are you going to do? He doesn't do that at all. Um, God is the one that goes and says, hey, like, watch sin out. Sin is crouching at the door for you. Like, choose yeah. righteousness. And I think that that's what God is continually doing. Even yeah. even in those moments of heavy temptation when he is allowing it, I don't think that he's just sitting idly by like that teacher that would watch and be like, is he going to get the question right? Because yeah. I can't wait. No, I like we know that he's not because he sent Jesus. Yep. Right? And, and he's actively uh, interfering with our sin. <laughs> interfering? <laughs> because yep. the Holy Spirit convicts us, right? And yeah. and it just it would seem cruel, and and we don't see that image portrayed in Yahweh at all of someone who tells the kid don't eat the cookie, but then dangles a cookie like it's so good though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, the cookie might be good, but at appropriate times within His design, within His purpose, right? Sure. And so then that's that's why even within that prayer, you know, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, right? Those those desires, the the nature of those desires within God's design are good. And so mm-hmm. we should always be seeking his will to fulfill those things yep. because they're, they will be more sustainable and long-term fulfillment than they will be if we just seek our own wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. We'll probably wrap it up there. I think we've been going for about already? an hour. Hi-yi-yi. Um, But thanks for those questions, mystery guest who emailed them in. <laughs> but that's really awesome. And hopefully that helped answer some of them and, and we'll just save some of these other questions for next time. Uh, but yeah, if you ever have questions that you're wrestling with, you can always email us or message us. Or, or if you'd like prayer in Jesus' name or something, yes, you can come talk so to us. We will now <laughs> close this podcast in Jesus' name. Uh, but thanks for listening. And hopefully this is helpful. And we will talk to you sometime another In the future. Time. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs>